Hi everybody, anybody, as far as I'm concerned, I think uh, everybody is somebody. Anyway, this is Willie and I'm back with uh, episode four of uh, Evolution Revolution. Uh, if you haven't joined the revolution, it's going to join you, so you might as well sign up now. Anyway, I thought that at this point in my life, since I was currently studying the use of psychedelics in uh, recovering people's identities and uh, helping them recover from alcoholism, uh, that it would be a good time for me to revisit a book I read a long time ago called Soma, Divine Rush Room of Immortality, in light of you know what's been discovered since and what I've learned since. And uh, it was written in 1968 by a guy named Gordon Wasson, who became known as the Mushroom Man, because he uh, his extensive research into mushrooms, which really really launched the use of mushrooms in the 60s uh, in, into the current age. In the book, he puts forth the concept that Amanita muscaria was the plant that was used as the Soma, in, and it mentions, I think, 68 times in the Rig Veda, uh, as the preparation that the Rishis drank before they authored the uh, Rig Veda. Wasson believed Soma was the mushroom that was, that was uh, utilized in religious ceremonies over 4,000 years ago before the Christian era by the people who called themselves the Aryans. Wasson also believed the hallucinogenic properties of enemy Amanita muscaria to be the cause of the ecstasy described in the Rig Veda, the holy book of the Hindus. I was firmly established in the Hindu religion with my becoming a Kriyaban in the Self-Realization Fellowship at this time. And when I vacationed in Jamaica, I experienced mushrooms for the first time and in the process of researching mushrooms, this is when I came across the Wasson book. I don't believe at that time that I had heard the term entheogenic, so my initial reaction was that the experience, experiences and divine beings talked about in the Rig Veda were basically hallucinations of rishis high on mushrooms. Imagine my dismay. The other side of the revelation was that I could take Anamita Muscaria and experience what the authors of the Rig Veda experienced themselves. So I ordered a package online with uh, said mushrooms, but never actually prepared them. Life intervened, and I was finding my experiences with self-resistant fellowship and Kriya to be satisfying and natural. And I was basically a, an am a conservative person who uh, led a conservative lifestyle. And I was probably rightly concerned about the fact that I didn't know how to prepare the mushrooms and, and knew nothing about the dosage. So I looked into uh, this particular mushroom and the mushrooms in general uh, again in light of my recent experiences in education in psychedelics. And uh, I found some amazing things, totally amazing things, some of which I'll attempt to share here in this uh, podcast. Um, but first, I'd, I'd like to... Uh, play a loop by a person named Terence McKenna, who is a current-day uh, 
expert in mushrooms, amongst other things. And in it, he talks about the relationship between the Vedas and uh, Amanita Muscaria. I think a good starting point for our discussion would be the ancient Vedic culture of India, one of the world's great and, and one of the world's earliest religions. The Rig Veda is, is considered by all scholars, I think, to be one of the most uh, beautiful uh, composite of religious hymns and deep philosophical discussions. And, and yet when one reads the Rig Veda carefully, one discovers uh, an enormous emphasis on a mysterious, uh, apparently hallucinogenic substance called Soma. Yes, you're quite right. The ninth mandala of the Rig Veda is entirely devoted to singing the praises of Soma, and yet we do not know what Soma is or was. R. Gordon Wasson spent a considerable portion of his life researching this problem and reached the conclusion that Soma was Amanita muscaria, a mushroom that is symbiotic to pine and birch trees uh, throughout much of the north temperate zone. However, uh, scholars have cast doubt on his identification of Soma. Nevertheless, uh, what we learn from Wasson's scholarship is that plants with hallucinogenic chemical principles in them have had an enormous impact on shaping the psychology of various cultures, both pre-literate and literate, throughout the world. It seems quite clear that the references to Soma and the Rig Veda were not really symbolic. They refer to some actual uh, plant substance. Oh yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. Some sort of plant substance was prepared and ingested by a priesthood who then used the ecstatic experience induced by that plant as the basis for all of their metaphysical and philosophical speculations on the nature of the universe. The case of Soma is by no means unique. My own field of uh, interest was uh, the Amazon Basin, where we don't have a great uh, written literature, but we do have an extensive oral tradition and a tradition of hallucinogenic plant use that persists to the present day. Mm -hmm. Research uh, into uh, psilocybin and its effects uh, started in like the early 1960s and uh, was started by uh, what are now two famous uh, researchers at Harvard, uh, Timothy Leary and Ralph Metzner. Uh, I met Ralph Metzner once at a uh, Association of Humanistic Psychologists meeting, and he was giving a presentation about his current uh, project, which is a form of yoga called Agni Yoga. And uh, he led the class through uh, an exercise where you imagine where where you imagine there was there was a fireball on top of your head, and that you sucked this fireball through your body and out your fingertips. And uh, we did that, let us do that, and then he said, are there any questions? And I said, yes, it, is, is there any difference, does it matter at all if there's an actual ball of fire on top of your head or you just imagine there is one? And he said, no. And that was my, my claim to fame of meeting Ralph Metzner. Anyway, um, so the next loop is a brief uh, talk about about that from a, a, a film called The Medicine Man, which I have uh, documented in the uh, show notes along with all the other stuff that I referenced here. So coming up is uh, 
is to talk about the, uh, by Ralph Metzner, about the uh, early research into psilocybin. The first psychological experiments with psychedelics were conducted with prison inmates in the United States in 1961. Their author was one of the most controversial leaders of the psychedelic revolution. He was then a professor of psychology at Harvard, and the man whom Wasson had refused to take to see Maria Sabina, Timothy Leary. Besides the prison work, then we also did studies with uh, normal people, say graduate students, on, um, we developed a questionnaire format. And the idea was a, a neutral but warm and supportive setting, not a clinic and not a therapy type of thing and not an experimental thing where we learned a lot from uh, from those studies and also then Tim Leary particularly did a lot, provided a psilocybin experience for a lot of people with um, uh, from the arts musicians and artists and painters and poets and writers um, people from New York who um, who he, he wanted to ask for what insights they had about this what the nature of this experience is and what it could contribute to expansion of consciousness through creativity and uh, those studies were continued you know later on with uh, with other people and they were all done with psilocybin um, LSD didn't really come into the picture till several years later uh, I do. the next track I'd like to play is, is from a uh, video I found on YouTube entitled Soma, the Psychedelic Origins of Religious Experience, which had tons of interesting information. In, in it, they referred to Gordon Wasson in uh, his work, and uh, they referred to him as the, uh, the Darwin of the 20th century in that he uh, proposed theories of the evolution of the human psyche and of religious practice in general, uh, tracked them to hallucinogenic substances and so I found that to be really interesting and in, in, in going to pursue that further in some of the other tracks in particular uh, with relationship to DMT and its uh, role in this whole process of the evolution of ev evolution of the human psyche human consciousness Wasson also found religious virtues in the fly agaric toadstool or Soma, as it's called in Vedic song. Soma was a god for Indo-Germanic peoples, but also the name of a hallucinogenic plant. Wasson maintained that Soma and the fly agaric toadstool were one and the same. He saw evidence for this in the Indian Rig Veda, one of the oldest scriptures known to humankind. Wasson devoted himself to Soma research for years, and he encountered toadstools everywhere in the process. In Africa, in cave paintings in Siberia, with Siberian shamans who still use it to this day. The toadstool, which we consider toxic, has a history as a hallucinogenic which is as old as humankind. The tree of knowledge, the forbidden fruit, both could in fact be the toadstool. Well, the Wasson theory of the origins of religions and ecstatic states catalyzed by the ingestion of shamanic inebriants is uh, in many respects analogous to Darwin's theory of natural selection uh, to explain the historical fact of evolution. Wasson explained the historical fact of the similarities between different religions and why they have these common motifs of the world tree or the tree of knowledge of learning uh, of good and evil or uh, the fruit of the tree of life. The, um, 
the sacrament, uh, the other world, etc. And so, uh, in many respects, he was the 20th century. Don't the next clip I'm going to play is from the uh, the Mushroom Man, and it, in it, uh, Terence McKenna talks about the uh, relationship that he sees between the uh, mushrooms and uh, this underground interconnection of mycelium that it apparently is under the ground from uh, where you see mushrooms on the surface and uh, the human brain and the evolution of the internet created by the human brain. And it's uh, fascinating to me that um, the possibilities there that I'm sure our research is going on with right now. And he points out the fact that the mushrooms had a huge effect on the evolution of uh, civilization up to this point, but it's also continuing to have a huge effect into the future, which I find fascinating and I'm going to look into further. Anyway, this is uh, Terence McKenna. Computers creating escapes in cyberspace. When we see a mushroom growing in the pasture, that is not really the whole story. Underneath the surface of the ground, there is a huge network of interconnected mycelium as fine or finer than a human hair, covering hundreds of thousands of miles with clamp connections every few millimeters, very similar to the human brain. The internet has given another boost to the popularity of magic mushrooms. And I am very struck by the similarity between the mushroom strategy of growth and morphogenesis, the human brain's growth and morphogenesis, and the growth and structure of the internet. Uh, and it's very interesting that the people who are building the internet are young people, psychedelically sophisticated people, many of whom are very familiar with the visions and insights that the mushroom brings. So in my opinion, the mushroom's impact on culture is not limited to ancient Mexico or the Paleolithic of Europe. The mushroom is continuously evolving a relationship with human beings, passing ideas from its own vast database into the human world in the form of new inventions, new technologies, and new forms of social organization. In a way, the mushroom shows us a way to live on the earth that can involve tremendous connectivity, tremendous intelligence, but complete integration into the natural world. And really, Wasson was the critical human factor in all of this. Uh, had it not been for his work... Okay, the uh, last uh, loop that I'd like to play in this uh, episode is uh, the from some of the psychedelic origins of religious experience, and it's produced by the gentleman named Raja Chaudhuri, who you're going to hear speaking. And he's, uh, he talks about what happens when, uh, in his theory, Soma becomes unavailable uh, to the average person in India, where Soma just frankly uh, ran out. Uh, how, how can you have the experience that Soma produces uh, just from the human body itself? And he uh, introduces um, 
I assume pretty current research in the areas of DMT, and he proposes that in a uh, DMT is released uh, in the first 49 days of a child's existence, and the release of the DMT from the pineal gland is what creates the initial level of consciousness. And uh, so, how do you? Um, but but that dissipates uh, quickly, and how do you get the DMT experience after that? Well. It turns out that in the evolution of uh, yoga, and he mentions in particular Kriya Yoga, it turns out that apparently um, somebody has shown that um, the process of Kriya Yoga causes the pineal gland in, in the advanced stages of the meditation uh, to be uh, dripped into the body, uh, which I found fascinating because apparently that's what happened to me, except I the time knew nothing about DMT, so apparently there's a, an intimate connection between DMT and my meditation practice, which uh, boggles my mind. And uh, I guess I'm going to have to look into this a little further. It's kind of a diversion uh, from psilocybin, uh, but uh, DMT is essential to uh, this whole experience. So I'll be looking into that in the, into the future. And anyway, this is um, Raja Chaturi talking about... Uh, what happens after you can't get soma back in the evolution of Indian culture? Then something happens, and I'm going to now. This is I'm going towards the end, and around 600 AD. I'm going to read this to you. This is from the Katha Upanishad, right? Katha Upanishad, Katha Upanishad, which is the sacred fire is well conceived in the wood, like a child in the womb of the mother. The soul is contained in the body as the fire is contained and concealed in the wood. Fire manifests, takes shape in accordance with the thing burning, and so also the soul, through manifold in embodiment, is the same as that which in, it, it, with, in which it abides for the time being. Right? There was a massive revolution in thinking in India. Now, we don't know why this happened. It could be because the Brahmins were dominating the Soma and rituals, and people were antagonistic about it and didn't like that, that they were doing that. It could be that the real Soma had run out and the Brahmins were faking it and nobody was believing anymore. You know, it could be many things. There were many reasons potentially for this. But we see a dramatic revolution in the psychology of the Indian mind occurring at this time, right? And we see, it literally in a 400-year period, we see Kapila, the Buddha, Mahavira, Patanjali, and the seers of the Upanishads, right? And this was a revolutionary time because what they said was that you can release the Soma, the Amrit, inside yourself, right? You don't need a priest. You don't need a plant. You can do it yourself, right? And that was a... Think about it. You've come thousands of years of priests controlling the Soma, everybody having group highs, you know, everybody doing their own stuff. And suddenly somebody comes along and says, hey, 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 you know, you can overcome all this suffering and clinging and desire for Soma and desire for immortality just by your own self, right? So it's quite a revolutionary moment in history. And the promise was that everyone can now get permanent bliss, right? So think about it. This is my thesis is that this radical movement was a reaction against the control of both the Brahminical ritual and the Soma and created a movement which already had been there in India with the practices of yoga, 
right? But was now beginning to be cultivated to a high level, right? And in order to understand that, we also understand that how is soma released in the human body, right? And the understanding is that the DMT is a product of the pineal gland, is one of the core ingredients of ecstatic luminary experience. Have everybody heard of DMT? No. It's called dimethotryptamine, right? DMT is a, it's a naturally existing chemical that exists in ayahuasca and other plants around the world that when consumed gives you ecstatic experience. It's one of the core chemical ingredients of all these plants, like psilocybin, ayahuasca, and so on. And what they discovered was that in the child, in a baby, on the 49th day of gestation, right, a chemical DMT is released into the child, in the child's brain, right? And that chemical creates consciousness for the first time, awareness of itself, right? This was the beginning of awareness. Now, in most human beings, after birth, that subsides. You know, some people like Ramakrishna and all probably have DMT for life, right? But most of us don't. You know, most of us just lose the DMT. We don't get the DMT after a while, right? And what happens is that with the DMT release, the systems, hallucinogenic systems as well as meditative systems, can release the DMT in the pineal gland. So that is why we talk about the third eye. We talk about the awakening of that consciousness. Now, this was known all over the world. There is the eye of Ra, which is like a cross-section of the pineal gland. That second picture is a cross-section of the pineal gland. It's a tiny gland in the middle of your brain, right? And it looks like an acorn. So if you look at the, right, the third image, it is a picture from Sumeria of an acorn on a stick with two serpents coming to it, which if you think about it, is the Kundalini serpent coming up. You also see the acorn, by the way, in... Um, in the Vatican, of all places. So the Christians knew about it, that the pineal gland was the doorway to enlightenment, right? And you also see it in the third eye of the pyramid of the Masonic Illuminati rituals, which is the pyramid with the third eye on top. So the pyramids were the human body sitting and the third eye being in the middle of your head. But I started to investigate as to where in India we knew about the pineal gland, right? And, 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 and it, was, it was so obvious to me when I saw it that I, it, it hadn't clicked for me before. So I just want to share that with you and we can debate it later. But the, the, the yoga of Soma is Shiva. Is that the, if you look at that, that picture on the left side is the Kamakya Pita in Assam, right? Which is considered to be Yoni and Linga together, right? One of the, this is probably the oldest Yoni and in, in Linga in India, right? Oh, this one, this one, one of them. And if you look at the Shiva Lingam, you will see that it actually, most people have always interpreted it as, as a phallic male penis coming through the vagina of the cosmos, right? That is the understanding of the Shiva mythology. But if you look at it carefully, it actually also looks like the pineal gland of Egypt. It actually looks like that from above, right? And if you look at some of the earliest forms of lingam, they're actually eggs. They are not penises. They are not large objects. They are eggs that were found, beautiful black stones that were found in the mountains. They're beautiful, right? And what we also find is that if you look at a typical Shiva temple, this is from a Chola temple on the right side bottom, is that 
the body of the Shiva is lying down and that's what a temple architecture is. And at the, at the head is the linga where he would be lying down. And that's looking upwards and that looks like a vault of his head where the pineal gland would be, you know, on the right side. So I'm going to explore this further over the next few years, but it's an area of very interesting study of the pineal gland and the knowledge in ancient India. How to release the soma within? And this is the, the big question, right? Because what happens if you take psychedelics is that unless you continue to take psychedelics, you cannot replicate the feeling or the thing permanently. You will get a glimpse, you will be awakened, you will, be, you will see it and you will want it, right? But it's not addictive. Most, you know, I mean, psychedelics that are addic addictive are dangerous, like coca and things like that, where you, you know, the chemical compounds. But psychedelics that are healing, like uh, DMT, ayahuasca, you know, canna cannabis, these are, these are, these are non-addictive and these are being shown therapeutic, healthy, they help you. But they don't give you a permanent state of bliss. They give you an instant taste of what it'll be like. If you took LSD, you will feel the ocean of vibration, you will feel the light, you will see it, and then you'll come back and you go, wow, you know, how do I get back there? So do I do LSD again? Do I do ayahuasca again? Or is there another way? So in India, the big question was, is there another way? And the answer was clearly yes from yoga. And it has grown into Kundalini and all these schools of thinking now. Kundalini Kriya and all these schools, right? And yoga has really flowered into this way. So Kundalini is one way. Prana, pranayama is another way. And pranayama is very important because there's actually pranayama, I wrote them down here, called Sahita Kumbhak Pranayama and uh, Anunam Vilam Pranayama and Gayatri Soma are three techniques which you know, I'll share with you later when you talk to me today. But there are ways in which you can awaken Soma drip in your own body from the top of your pineal gland through the nasal cavity into the, into the system. And it's used in what they call Kriya Yoga in India. It's used in Kriya Yoga, right? So it's a way of touching the tongue at the top of the mouth and releasing soma slowly. And these are known. These are known techniques, right? And you also have tantra, which is the use of bij mantra, vibration, sound, geometry, mudra, to create awakening, right? And trance, which is known in India, but, you know, the, the, the boom shankar cults and the dancing and the euphoria, and you can do it with that also. Right, it actually becomes more permanent, and it's it's almost like bhakti, what they call bhakti, right? Anything bhakti, prayer, devotion, meditation will all release, will release the empty, all will release the empty, and the f most, the highest one is what they call raja yoga, which is dhyana, which is basically inner concentration to the level where you become, you awaken the third eye, the pineal gland by yourself, and that's the hardest route but it is the most guaranteed. So, what does Soma give you? Light, strength, beauty, music. One of the things that when you took uh, Soma in the ancient times, the Gandharvas will come and sing to you. The Apsaras will dance for you. It was an, um, you know, I mean, obviously male dominated, but still, you get the idea. It will come up, you know, it will come up, you know. Uh, the third part is so beauty, you know, magic. This is magical, you know, not just, if you had negative thoughts, obviously it's slightly demonic, but it's positive. It can open up all these vistas. That, that you know, wisdom guides, 
people come to you, you know, that's what angels and elves and gods and devas and asuras are. These are intelligences and just outside our dimension who are there within us and outside of us. And we can tap into them through our use of these things of Soma. The last one is bliss and ecstasy. And most important is the knowledge of immortality, which is that you dissolve into cosmos and you realize that you are not this body, you are not this thing, you are an immortal soul that is everywhere in the cosmos at the same time. And you and that are the same element, right? And that is the big message of the Vedas, Vedanta, and all the Indian wisdom traditions. So you can say that that's the religion that resulted, right? But it is a very powerful one. These are some of the books I recommend you read, right? Uh, Graham Hancock, Supernatural. Wasson's book on Soma is very good. But the more recent book is this Soma book by David Spess that covers all the research being done right now, right? A very good book. And if you want to discover Ayurvedic techniques of curing with Soma, how to release Soma inside yourself, Frawley and, and, and uh, Vasant Lad have written this great book that you should read. David Frawley, the great David Frawley. Thank you. Okay, I'd like to conclude this uh, podcast with a uh, quotation from uh, one of my gurus, uh, Swami Sri Yukteswar. <clears throat> Man's body is precious. It has the highest evolutionary value because of unique brain and spinal centers. These enable the advanced devotee fully to grasp and express the loftiest aspects of divinity. Unquote. Uh, what I find fascinating is that apparently the human body has everything it needs to uh, dis discover where it came from which is basically what I've been working on through Kriya Yoga and uh, what the psychedelics can help uh, people to do uh, in, in dramatic, rapid fashion, which I look forward to working on and with in the future. So uh, my mind is blown for now, so I'm going to go rest and uh, finish the publication of this when I, uh, my brain power resumes. <laughs>